This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, we got good news today. Big news for anyone hoping for normal to return. UK Athletics announced that they are planning to go full go, full capacity at Kroger Field for the 2021 football season. Uh, That's the best news I've heard in a long time, Derek, when it comes to sports, because that makes me think that we're going to have a normal SEC football season. Yeah, I think at this point it was going to be more surprising for any team that decided not to go 100%. Uh, I don't know where UK stacks up in the league in terms of making this decision. Um, but it seems like that's this is the route everywhere's going to go. I mean, you look at Major League Baseball, um, the Rangers from the start, I think went 100% down in Texas. But I know locally, somewhat locally, you can say the Reds, uh, I think on June – second or june 11th i can't remember which date exactly basically in the next few weeks they're going to be going full 100 percent. so it'll be a bit of a test run i guess you could say oh i don't think there's gonna be much to it i think people will adapt you know back to how it was pretty quickly i don't think it'll be too much to it but if you're uk you can at least look at it and say you know some of these other teams or whatever having a few months before they get going but um Still, you're right. Great news. I think this was expected, and I'm really happy that, you know, that, that was lost in last year with some of the timeline things you read. People weren't really sure how long it would take to get back to normalcy. Um, so as long as everything stays on course like it is now, I think people will take that weird 2020 experience and just kind of, you know, forget about it. <laughs> I mean, you'll never forget that, but just in terms of – uh you know, it was worth the, the trade-off or whatever, I guess you could say, if it was just one season. So, really happy for fans, for sure. And a lot of people rolled over their tickets, right, from 2020 yeah. to 21. So, good news for them. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. When, uh, when I got that email that came from UK Athletics this afternoon, I was like, man, that, that's – from where we were a year ago talking about it and everything, where we didn't even know if there was going to be a college football season to now mm-hmm. – feels like it's been longer than a year. It feels like it's been three or four years, honestly. But good news – and we have even more good news for you. We're going to jump right into a Buffalo Wings and Rings football-only mailbag. So it fits with uh, with this episode, Derek. I know there's going to be a ton of questions about the quarterback position, uh, questions about the wide receivers, the defensive side of the ball, staff, staff additions, staff changes, some things going on there. So let's just go ahead and get to some of the questions that I see that are the same. Uh, there's one from Michael. And then there's one from Hayden that I see that are asking us who we think will be the starting quarterback. I think you and I are in agreement that it's going to be Will Levis, the Penn State transfer. I think we'd be shocked if he's not the quarterback. I think he's being groomed to be that. 
I think that honestly, I think Derek that he has put in this work in the off season, kind of under the assumption that he's going to come in and and have to be the guy in year one with Liam Cohen. Yeah, if I I would certainly make him the favorite. Levis that is, although I think Gatewood, you know, probably did enough to to definitely be when when fall ball starts. I think he'll be getting first team reps probably. Um, I think they all get first team reps, but that ultimately I think will be the decision. Levis or Gatewood it doesn't seem like uh, just from what we've heard recently through the spring. I think Bo maybe needs a little bit more time, but who knows? I mean, who knows what after a summer and once he gets into fall camp. I mean, part of me wants to say this is going to be wide open, but behind the scenes, some of the things I've heard also kind of makes me think that it's definitely Levis's job to lose. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want more than one guy. You want to have another guy there ready just in case there's an injury. Kentucky. Well, think, yeah, think think about UK seasons. Like, yeah, they've pretty much not just used one guy since. No. So, and and the one thing too that stands out to me about Gatewood and Levis is they both seem like they have those bodies that are durable. Derek, you know, Le- mm-hmm. Levis is a really strong body. Another guy that's been in a college weight room. Uh, Gatewood's been in college weight rooms. I think that the durability and the bodies and things, I think that that's going to help. And that is the thing that we're kind of waiting on with Bo Allen, right, is more strength, changing that body a little more. And uh, we know that Bo Allen is the future of the program. That's that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, he, he is, I think. you know, But it's always tough, too, with especially that position. It's one that probably has the most – well, I don't know if it's – Statistically proven that I mean, what's Spurrier say? You know, quarterbacks are born to transfer. When there's only one guy really per team who's going to be playing that spot, it's hard. And um, yeah. I mean, I think with Bo being a Lexington kid, his family legacy being here, like I think he'll stick it out and and have every chance probably to try to be the quarterback. But you know, with Levis, I mean, technically if he wants it, he has three years. I think Gatewood, same situation, he has three years left. Uh, we'll just have to see. And, and that position, probably more than any other under Stoops, has been very hard to project out because it seems like something always happens. And, I mean, you probably never would have thought Steven Johnson would be the quarterback. You probably never thought Lynn Bowden would have to play quarterback. So, hard to say. But I think, ideally, you look at paper, you you would think whenever either Levis or Gatewood, or the, whenever their career comes to an end, you would hope Bo could be the guy to step in there. But if that's three years from now, is Bo willing to wait that long? I think that's a, a fair, legitimate question to ask. But – Probably one at this point that we're getting a little far ahead of ourselves just because there's so many things that could happen before yeah. we get there. And, and a lot of these roster questions, Derek, I'm going to leave to you. I mean, you're the football guy on this podcast. Like, I, you know, I, I talk a lot on the, the basketball mailbags, but I'm going, to, I'm going to let you show off all you know about this thing and how you dive into this roster. But before we get into that, uh, we have a question here. I think it's from – I think it's Shauna. Do you think there's going to be a fan day? This year, typically it is in August. So we, we have the news today that Kentucky is going to go full go with capacity. That's the plan. Do you, do you think that – and maybe it won't be the normal fan day, but do you think that there's going to be some type of event where fans can maybe take in something, even if it's just inside the stadium? I think – I don't know if they'll go, excuse me, to the autographs like they have in the past. But if they do the old school – 
have some fans coming to the stadium to watch a practice, I think that's certainly doable. I mean, no question, yeah. uh, especially with the news already that it's going to be 100%. Capacity. More doable than having it at the practice fields, in my opinion. Yeah. Just a better setup. It, yeah. I, well, one, I think they should do it there anyway. I understand Stoops' reasoning, though. I mean, you have both those fields available. I mean, they use it. I mean, it counts as a practice, you know, in the preseason. So yeah. I understand him wanting to operate as normally as possible if you have people watching you. But I think um, – since they didn't do anything in the spring and since they had limited capacity last year, I think it would be smart on their end to um, bite the bullet, per se, you could say, and have one practice that maybe you throw the fans a bone, have it in the stadium, let them come and watch. But I think uh, – I still think maybe a year early for uh, fans coming in and, and getting some autographs. But, hey, maybe man, maybe come August that won't be an issue, though. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. We, yeah. we don't know. The Things could look entirely different, and they they might be able to do this thing. I mean, if we're going to go full capacity, you know, there's going to be fans lined up right there at the gates as they walk out from from the training center and everything over to the stadium. I mean, there's going to be close contact with fans. Uh, but the next question I see here, Derek, that I think we both can give opinions on here is from Brandon. Ceiling and floor for this season. Hmm. So uh, that's the question everybody kind of wants to know. How good can this team be, and what – I guess what would be its worst in your opinion? I guess we're going. Say, off, are we going off win totals or like projections? Yeah, I, w- I would. I would think win totals. Well, we then can... let's let's wrap this one into it as well. It's from BBNMJ. Okay. It says uh, we talked about the quarterback, but he says and overall record. So let's just put these two together. Okay. Um, floor. I think they'll. I think they're going to win, even under any scenario, I think they're going to win all four non-conference games. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they're going to beat Vanderbilt pretty much under any circumstance. And I want to say the floor is, is, well, I mean, if things went really bad, I think they'll get to 6-6 and pretty much under any scenario because I don't see them going 1-7 and in the league. So... Maybe they beat South Carolina, but then somehow lose every other SEC game. Like I think that would be a really disappointing season. Um, so that's it's a raised floor, though, right? I mean, compared to where it used to be, it is. So yeah, I think they can get there. Ceiling, I would go with. Um, I mean, that's always tricky with this because. Yeah, you don't know. The only team I would look at probably on paper and say there's just absolutely no way, and even some people will say that won't even give into that. Like, I don't think. Under any prediction, I'm going to think they can go to, go down to Georgia and win on the road. Um, they got to do it before we can predict it, right? Yeah, it's, like it's been a long time. Um, and I just don't think they're so talented up and down the, the roster that you can, you know, that they'll get to like 11 and 1. So like, I would say like nine wins to me before we see anything else. And I think that's honestly somewhat generous before we see what the offense is to, to say that they can. Get time wins. I mean, I think that's certainly doable. We saw it a few years ago with a team that had had a lot of talent, but certainly was not. I mean, it was flawed in some ways for sure with the passing game. They really had to maximize. I mean, think about that season though, Sean. I mean, they're they have to hold on against Penn State to get to ten wins. They played a great game, got up big, but had to hold on there at the end. Had to uh, win took, one against Missouri. It was a miracle win. Yeah, I mean, let's just yeah. face it. Like that was a miracle win at Missouri. Kentucky almost never wins games like that. Uh, but you could say you know, kind of countered out because they had a dud against Tennessee. So, so maybe you think that it balanced out some ways. Like, I think around eight wins is where I would say for the overall record right now is probably where I'm sitting at. 
I'm going to put the floor. I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to put the floor at seven. Seven. And, yeah, and, I mean, and, and how much does that show that the program has changed, though, that that's the floor? At one point, that was the ceiling, right, for this yeah, program. Yeah. And now we're talking six, seven being the floor. I'm going to go a little higher than you two with the ceiling. I'm going to put it at ten. Ten regular season wins. That's if they're at their best with the quarterback, the ball's moving through the air, and they stay healthy. I think that they could get to ten because I do. I would put Georgia as the game that I'd pick pick them to lose because I'm not going to pick them to beat Georgia until they beat Georgia under Mark Stoops. And then, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a possibility. But if if they fall somewhere in that eight to ten range, Derek, regular season, it's a it's another good year. Yeah, it is. I, it's interesting looking at Pro Football Focus. I, I was under the impression that Florida maybe wasn't going to get a ton of love preseason, but they have them at like number seven, I think, um, on that list. Which is, you know, I think that's kind of generous. But Kentucky's twenty seventh on there, so I think if you're a UK fan, you can't really hate on it because that might be the highest uh, mark that UK is in the preseason. So. Um, LSU was also top ten in that, and Georgia was as well. So it's three top ten teams according to Pro Football Focus. They got to play. Um, I don't think it's impossible to beat LSU or Florida at home, but uh, we'll have to see when it gets there. But yeah, I, I mean, six wins. So it would stun me if they only won six. Honestly, it, that would be like I think a pretty bad season if they only won six games this year. And seven, I could see though because you know it's pretty easy to see them losing to Georgia, Florida, and LSU. And they've not won at Mississippi State in a while, and they, you know, historically have struggled in Tennessee. Like when it gets to there, I mean, you could—I don't know that I look at this and say they're just so good that there's no chance they're going to lose to Tennessee, Mississippi State, or Missouri. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I think there might be some losses in there somewhere, but still, if you get the eight wins, maybe I don't know. I know it's not like I'm all over the place on this, but eight is kind of where I settle at because I think it's kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt that the offense will be much better. While also saying, hey, I don't think they're at a point where you can just say confidently that they will split one of the games against Florida or LSU. Yeah. These next two or three questions, Derek, I'm going to let you kind of just just take them here. This one comes from C. Swan. He says, do you think Trayvon Morgan will have a big impact in the offense this year? It blows my mind how forgotten he seems when people talk about the wide receiver corps. Well, I mean, he didn't really do anything, uh, and I know they had a shortened season at Michigan State last year. You know, didn't do a ton, and it's already kind of up for debate. One source told me he was going to play tight end, but I believe the kid was under the impression he's going to be playing wide receiver. So you already have that kind of weird, and that's from someone on the staff, by the way, talking about being a tight end. So it's not just uh, – that's pretty solid where I heard that. Um, I think it's – Remains to be seen how six foot six, six foot seven wide receivers fit in Liam Cohen's offense. They don't really have a whole lot of guys like that. Um, if you kind of read the tea leaves from what the comments were during spring, you already kind of have some questions as to where even guys like you know Isaiah Cummings and Ernest Sanders fit in, and those guys are nowhere near the same height as a guy like Trayvon Morgan. They're you know more of that six three flex type body around two thirty. Um, so honestly, I don't really know uh, where he fits in. If it's if he is going to be playing tight end this this fall, I think you like his athleticism. But is he going to be good enough to play in front of those three guys that are already in you know in front of him with Rig uh, Bates and Keaton Upshaw? Of course, like I don't I don't know. So we'll have to see. I really Adam Luckett calls them power forward wide receivers, and I really like that term for those guys because you know they're kind of just the jump ball types that maybe had a place in Eddie Grand's offense, but. Um, 
I'll probably need to see more of, of Morgan before I really have any any hard feelings on him, but I I don't think he's going to be a a big impactful guy. But maybe he will be. But I would say at this point, you would think Ali and I mean there are probably four guys right now I can name that I think will certainly have a bigger impact than him. And next question comes from Nick: Is Justin Rogers a nose tackle or a defensive tackle? Could we see them next to each other on the D line? Assume he means Marquand McCall too. He's yeah, talking that's... about seeing them next to each other. Yeah. So no, Brad White has told me numerous times, and and also said in press conferences that uh, right now Justin Rogers' best position is at nose guard. So I don't think he'll be sliding over to play defensive tackle next to um, Marquand McCall. I mean, unless something happens, perhaps he'll need to move over. But as of now, no, he's been getting his reps at nose guard. And hey, I mean, you need that depth there. If you, you know, so Marquand you don't think McCall, there's any packages or anything where those two will be on the field together. I mean, maybe goal line type situations yeah. when you really need the big bodies in there. But uh, in a normal set, no, I, I don't think so. I think he'll be spelling his his old high school buddy. Yeah, for now. So. That, that, that's really good depth, though, at that it position. Is. That's yeah, two Josiah really Hayes good too. guys. I mean, you're talking elite-level talent at that Three, spot. Three, four stars, yeah, yeah, out of the high school at that, those positions. So that's what Near. you need. Uh, at the defensive tackle spot, if you're looking for guys from that 2020 class, I would say Octavius Oxendine is more likely to to get in there. But uh, that's that's like the one position, though, because you know Pascal's going to start. You know yeah. uh, McCall is going to start. But – and that just shows too, you know, just the level that this program is recruited at now. That oh yeah, whoever the opposing center is, Derek is going to have to look up and see one of those bodies right over the ball. I mean, that's that's a that's a big deal for Kentucky on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, no question about that. I, I'm really curious to see how that class of 2020 kind of develops this year because they had a lot of a lot of praise. They didn't really hit that spot super hard either in the last class. They're trying to get back to it a little bit more this year, but there there is going to be a lot, I think, riding on that group of guys uh, here in the coming years. And I probably should have went with this question when we were talking about uh, wide receiver position earlier, but this one comes from Brad. How many true freshman wide receivers see the field, and will Drennan make an impact this year? I'll answer the last half. I do think that Mike Drennan will make an impact in this offense. Yeah, I I think so. He he had um he had some issues. I think I, I I don't he didn't practice the whole time. I think he had some health things going on. So kind of draw from that what you will, given the times that it was. So I don't think he was out there for the full spring. Um, and again, a guy too. It was such a weird year last year that you would have thought at a certain point maybe UK would have tried to play some younger guys, but they just never really got around to it. <laughs> Honestly, you know, you, only time he really did what? I think he I think he was a targeted receiver on Joey Gatewood's interception at Florida and he caught the first pass from Bo Allen, right? So I think that was yeah. pretty much to the, I mean, he might have had a few other catches here and there, but in terms of actually being noticed, that was pretty much the only time. So in a lot of ways he's gonna be like a true freshman again. I mean yeah. he did have the year in there. Um and we but, kept predicting this youth movement last year, remember? It never happened. And, and yeah. It never happened, but it, <laughs> it made so much sense to do it. Yeah. But never did. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, his thing is he plays the same position as Wondell. And, uh, you know, Wondell's going to be the main focal point. But, of course, you need you need other guys to get in there and play. And or I that think depth that we've been talking about, it though. Is. That it is. He, I mean, if he comes and emerges and does anything, it's a big deal. As far as the true freshman, I think it's a good question. Um, I think, obviously, starting off here, you have to give – and this kind of ties into the other guy, though, too. I mean – 
talking about Drennan. I, I think Chauncey Magwood, he was the only true freshman wide receiver who was there for spring ball. And I think he picked up pretty quick. And that kid was, I mean, he was one of my favorite players in their class last year. Just a guy who, a four-year starter at a really, really, really good high school, uh, Lee County High School down in Georgia. Of course, played quarterback a senior year, but, I mean, that was only because he had to. I mean, he spent the rest of his career playing DB and wide receiver. So he's another slot guy. I think he will have a pretty good chance. My favorite guy, and I think we talked about this a lot back around signing day, I really like Christian Lewis. I think he is one of the best peer wide receiver talents they've signed. His problem, you could say if it's a problem, is that, you know, he's skinny for one. And the depth. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Probably looks better for him as an outside wide receiver, but... I could see him being a guy come like October, November, once he's been on campus a little bit longer, who maybe gets in there and plays a little bit more. Um, but, you know, DeKel Crowdis, kind of that small, fast guy. I mean, maybe you look at him as a possible deep threat. Uh, and then, of course, Devontae Ross is the guy that kind of signed out of nowhere, who I thought his tape looked as good as anybody's. Yeah. So I think, honestly, there's a chance for all those guys. Uh, I don't know that they all will, but, of course, with the red shirt rule, in some of these early season games, I, w- I would say as long as they did enough in the fall, I-, I would guess they would get at least a little bit of run. And then you can decide, is this the kind of guy who can actually help us for more than four games? The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. And, I mean, if they're going to commit to slinging the football around, guys are going to have opportunities. Okay. So that, that's that's a new thing, too, when it comes to, to these pieces. And, and speaking of that, Brand, Brad has another question. What are your thoughts on how the Cohen-style offense will relate to the SEC? And if it struggles to take hold, how long will Stoops allow it to struggle? Well, Mark's kind of at a point where he has, if it does struggle, Derek he kind of has to allow it to go through kind of that, that building phase, right? Because, I mean, you, you make a change. Can't struggle any more than what Eddie Grant's passing offense struggle. Well, I think Stoops wanted to find a balance between keeping this physical identity while also, like, having a, a passing game that wasn't, you know, a full-out air raid, though. I mean, it's, it's balance. I think that's what Stoops knows they have to have is balance. Um, yeah, you, you need the, those chunk plays even in the passing game. Yeah. Well, the thing to consider, too – and I think this is I think this is a real possibility. With the transfer portal, it's kind of hard to say because maybe you could have more guys added to your roster than you expect. Um, 
I think there's a pretty good chance that the that the roster this year is actually going to be better offensively than the next season. Because you think about losing Kennard, Ali, potentially Wondell Robinson if he decides to go to the NFL. Um, Chris Rodriguez could decide to go to the NFL. Upshaw might decide to go to the NFL. I mean, you have Rick who's going to graduate, and then you got Fortner who's going to graduate. Like, I think that it's actually at a spot where the quarterback is a big question this year, and I think that you know could potentially hold them back unless one of those guys really steps up and runs with it. But I think this is the kind of offense this year. Like, I look at it, and I'm going to say, you know, Sean, I think they probably need to produce because I think they got some good players on here. And I'm not going to say that should be, you know, a, a juggernaut offense by any means, but there, there's enough talent where they shouldn't really have the same kind of struggles that they had last year. This offensively, with the talent they have, it is, it is, I think, by far a more talented roster this year offensively. So I would expect them to go a little bit um, – but in terms of how long he'll let it struggle, I mean, Liam Cohen is going to be basically a first-year coordinator. I know he called plays at Maine. That's a lot different than calling plays in the SEC. I think there will be some growing pains there just from having a guy who hasn't called plays in a few years coming to this level. So, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's going to be a, you know, a top 25. I don't know if it even be like a top 25-ish offense. I, would, I mean, that would be a crazy huge jump, wouldn't it, <laughs> in one yeah, year massive. to go from where they were? So I think you look for some, you know, it's weird for me to kind of put where the expectations should be because I think they have good players, uh, and I think it should certainly be much better than last year. But at the same time, you know, you got to expect that there will be some times that maybe it doesn't look so great just because of a lot of new faces uh, and a new guy calling the plays. But, I mean, he's certainly going to get years at least. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be a one-year thing, I don't think, or unless it's just a absolute total disaster like it was under Shannon Dawson. But even then, you think about when he fired Dawson, I think he did that knowing he could go get Eddie Grant, his buddy, to yep. come in and call plays. I don't know if that's going to be the same situation. So I think Liam will have plenty of time to get comfortable. Um, matter of fact, I, I view it more as if he comes in and really shines, can, can they keep him for more than just a year or two? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I am with him, more so than will he get fired. So all it takes is uh, something like, you know, yeah. to get to Kentucky and change this thing and then be a hot name. And that's yeah, uh, sure. which that's a good thing for Kentucky because that means you you ended up turning this thing around on that side of the ball and you're really good at it. But it also means that other people are going to be calling. Uh, UK Shane says, "Have you guys heard who the next assistant coach could be?" That's a big hole to fill. Definitely a big hole. And now I uh, a lot of that stuff went down when I was on my honeymoon. A lot of these interviews, um, it's been out there for a while, so I don't have a problem sharing it, even though it was VIP. Um, Chris Collins is a guy from Georgia State who Josh Edwards reported on. Um, he, he was one that I think Josh felt like had a pretty good chance to get it. Uh, of course, the connection there is Brian Landis, who used to be at UK as an assist as a grad assistant, I think, and then went to Frederick Douglass to be the head coach. And then there was another, I think Corey Peoples was his name, another guy from Georgia State. And then um, a few NFL guys, but of course, um, Jonathan Cooley was the initial guy who a lot of people thought it would be from the Rams, but he decided to stay. So, but no, to answer your question, I don't know for sure who it is, who's going to go uh, get that job, but it does sound like it should be pretty soon that it's named. I mean, the, the recruiting period starts up, you know, in five days, I think. So you would expect here pretty soon to, to want to have your full staff in place. Yeah. And, and Big O asked, if you had to pick one stat on offense and one on defense that will define a successful year for the team, which stat and what, total would they be it's a good question like what's the one stat that stands out to you Derek on the offensive side I mean is it is it the passing game they still need to run the football what do you think 
Offense, I'd probably say something like yards per completion. I mean, you look at Terry Wilson last year. He is – I pulled it up. He was ranked 101 nationally, 9.5 yards per completion. So, you know, obviously a lot of his passes were staying behind, you know, short passes that didn't really do a whole lot to contribute to – he had a decent percentage, but he wasn't taking many high-risk you know, throws either. So you would hope <laughs> that the completion percentage was high. Defensively, um, I think the pass rush is a real question on this team. I really do. Uh, I like Pascal early in the year as a pass rusher. Last year he showed, you know, a lot of glimpses of being very good at that, but then he got banged up. Um, J.J. Weaver might not be 100% to start the year. I think he's another one of your best pass rushers. <laughs> Jordan Wright, he's, you know, kind of a big play guy, you could say, right? I mean, he's yeah. scored some touchdowns in his career, got some interceptions. Um, but they're going to have to find some other guys. I think. So maybe, I don't know if total sacks would be the best way, but you definitely need to get some quarterback hurries, put some pressure, because if you can do that, I mean, I know it's common sense, it's the same for any defense. If you can if you can put pressure on the quarterback and make it harder for him to make throws, you're going to look a lot better. Your secondary is going to look better. They're going to end up making more impact plays because the quarterback's forced to make quicker decisions. Maybe he makes more mistakes. Um, they can't be in a spot where the quarterback can sit back there all day and pick them apart. Because you do that, and you can make average quarterbacks look really good, like we've seen over the years. And they've done that quite a few times. Uh, I'll go on the offensive side. I'm going to say red zone efficiency. I want to see how good they are in the red zone. Or is that touchdowns? Yeah, is that field goals? Because a, a lot of times, Derek, and with the last offense, they they would do a great job getting there, but could not capitalize. Had to settle for three. And against good teams, you cannot do that. You have got to punch it in and get six. So that that's the stat that I that I'm going to pay the closest attention to, especially with a new offense and new offensive coordinator, and then again too, uh, chunk plays in the passing game, those big explosive plays. I want to see how many of those they get because they've got that via the run, but now they mix that thing in with the pass. Could be talking about an offense that could be exciting to watch. Yeah, oh yeah, no question. It, You're right about the red zone. That was a big problem last year. We we actually heard about that in the uh, fall camp in the fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was there. It was problem. a massive problem that they had. Eddie Grant talked about it. Seemed like for two or three straight weeks going into the season, and then it kind of reared its ugly head to start the year. Right, lost the game oh, at yeah. Auburn, a turnover right there in the red zone. Uh, that will kill you. And then if you couple that with missed field goals, it kills you even more. Well, Ole Miss game too, right? AJ Rose being yeah. been a little silly, got tackled before and then fumbled. <laughs> yeah. So I kept the touchdown off the board. And you look back on a one point loss in overtime, and those things are kind of magnified. A uh, couple of questions in the DMs here from Jason. I got one too, Sean. I got one. It's actually from my brother. Okay. Dalton brought up a point I actually didn't know. This, this stat might surprise you. Um, it's a bit long. <clears throat> he didn't really know how to phrase it as a question, but what he's saying basically is the program is in better shape than it's ever been. And besides not being able to beat Georgia since Stoops has been there, another thing that Stoops has not done is beat an SEC West team on the road. Ooh. I actually did not realize that. I hadn't realized um, that. Yeah, you're, that's right. He said the closest uh, game was Thursday night in 2012. Uh, it was actually 2013 when they lost to uh, Mississippi State. I remember watching that game at Shamrocks in Lexington my freshman year of college. Uh, Dalton was there, actually. So, yeah, they lost that game on Thursday night. Uh, they play MSU on the road this year after a brutal three-game stretch in October. Right. 2022, they get Ole Miss on the road. 2023, Mississippi State again. And then in 2024, they play Arkansas. So it's basically saying for Kentucky to take an even bigger step, they need to start winning these games on the road. And I, I agree. And I, You know, they had some close ones. A&M was another close one in overtime. 
Uh, they lost down there. That was a weird game because they just did absolutely nothing on offense and felt like they could have stolen it there at the end after the uh, fumble return for a touchdown by Darius West. Um, but, no, that's that's a good point. And, again, we talked about that Mississippi State losing streak on the road. <laughs> and that's kind of a game that you look at this year. I mean, you would think – I would think Kentucky's better than Mississippi State. I thought they've been better than Mississippi State in years that they've lost. Oh yeah, Mississippi State. But Derek, it, it seems like that game is always put somewhere to where it's Kentucky coming off a brutal stretch, and then you have that letdown type game. I remember Andre Woodson in the year in 2007 where they went Florida, LSU, all those games back to back, and then Mississippi State came in on homecoming yeah. and just destroyed Kentucky. Had no yeah. business beating Kentucky the way they did. Well, you look at the schedule the way it sets up this year, and it's that brutal three game stretch followed by a road trip to Mississippi State. So what yeah. is that? That's where you want a veteran team after a brutal stretch like that. That's that's ready to go in, take care of business there, and start a stretch to close the year where they could win all of them. Yeah, Kentucky doesn't always play its best either off a of bye week. And they're gonna have a bye week before uh, they go down to Starkville. But yeah, that's um, that's a good point. Again, you only get one chance to a year to to beat an SEC West team on the road, right? Because the other game you're gonna get at home. So. And we've covered I, I, some games there that have just been, like, awful, huh? <laughs> like, we've left Starkville the last two times that we've been there and thinking, man, what the hell happened? <laughs> well, I still thought with a fully healthy Terry Wilson or even Sawyer Smith that they would have won that game in 2019. Yeah. The, the one before that, though, Stephen Johnson's senior year, was an awful performance. That was, 45-7. to seven. Well, yeah. I think that might be – until Alabama just absolutely beat them down this past year, I think that was one of the worst losses they've had in several years under Stoops. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, definitely that's definitely a place where you know Mark Stoops has that game circled. I think along with Missouri and everything that happened there last year, I think that one Mississippi State's two that I'd circle. Is it easy to forget that Alabama beat Kentucky by sixty points this past year? No, it's not. Sixty I'll, points. I'll, I'll never forget it. <laughs> As a national champ, you know, a great team, but man. But no, it it is easy kind of points. forget it just because you're talking positive PR now with this program and it wasn't too long ago they got absolutely destroyed and then went to Florida and got beat uh, pretty good late in that game as well. So it looked I mean this we could be talking a lot differently right now about this program, but they were able to, you know, right the ship and get moving back in the right direction. And Jason wants to know, not sure if I've heard this answered, what is the ceiling for the team if quarterback and wide receiver play is the same or only slightly better than last season? So we probably could have put this with the other, yeah. but it, but it's a little different, though, Derek. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. asking if it doesn't improve, how good can this team be? I do think we will be much better, but there is that chance. And he, this is coming from a Kentucky fan, Derek, that, that knows how to understand that even though you'd make changes, it doesn't mean that things are going to be different. So... No, I think that's a really realistic way to look at it. It is, um, it is a realistic way. I, I, I still think they can get the seven, though. If if, the, if they have to line up and do the same stuff that they did the last few years where it was mostly ground and pound with the running backs that they have in this offensive line, I still think they can win against the majority of the teams. Now, the problem is, it's what we talked about last year, if you only have slight improvement or basically no improvement, you're not going to beat Florida or LSU or Georgia, and you're probably going to lose another game here or there, maybe two more games if you don't have any kind of passing threat to help you out. So you should still be able to beat the teams like uh, South Carolina, I would say, Vanderbilt, maybe one or two against Mississippi State or Missouri, and then all four non-conference games. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it definitely puts a ceiling on what you can do. I'd say around seven wins is where I'd put it. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then I have another one here. This is from Back to Final Four. Project your O-line for 2021 and project your defensive starters for 2021. I'll let you take that. Yeah, I mean, left tackle, Darren Kennard, left guard, not say Kenneth Horsey. Seemed like they were a little split on what they wanted to do at center um, during spring ball, but I'd still say Quentin Wilson and then right guard Luke Fortner and then right tackle Jeremy Flax. And then defensively, we talked about McCall and Pascal on the D-line. I really don't know the other defensive tackle spot. I mean, I can see it being a number of guys. I guess I might lean someone like Oxendine, but I don't think that's a given by any means. You also got Aboule in there. And I'm probably forgetting somebody as well. I don't know, Quay Mahone played that position, but he transferred to Temple. Uh, but then at linebacker, I'm going to assume – I think when J.J. Weaver gets healthy, you might see Jordan Wright play some strong side on the other side. But until he's healthy, I'm going to say Wright at Jack. I'm going to say Jared, Jared Casey gets a starting spot at Mike linebacker. And then um, he, is, I think, might end up being overtaken by Trevin Wallace before the year's over. But uh, DeAndre Square at weak side, where he's been the last few years. And I guess KD McDaniel at strong side, because there's really nobody else. Um, maybe Luke Fulton gets in there, the transfer from Michigan State. But that's a bit of a interesting spot, I think, going into the season. And then um, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Uh, no, I'm just looking at the next question. Oh, my bad. I thought I heard you step in there. Uh, but no, our cornerback, I think it'll be Cedric Dort. And uh, Cannington Valentine, and then Yusuf Corker and uh, Ty Asian at safety. And then you get the nickel spot that obviously they'll use in some packages. You're going to see Vito Tisdale play a lot somewhere, and I think also Devontae Robinson. So, depth wise, though, I think they got a lot of guys in the secondary. I'm curious to see if a guy like Joel Williams steps up, a pretty highly touted guy. Um, you also got Jalen Geiger back there. There's a lot of guys back there. But, no, those would be the guys I would say. So, really, the big questions, one of the defensive tackle spots, one of the – I guess two of the linebacker spots technically. And then uh, I think secondary looks pretty good, though, honestly. I think that will be a pretty good strength of this team. Yeah, that's actually what I was about to add, was that that's the part that you can – I think you can kind of hang your hat on, is that group should create some turnovers and make some plays. Next question comes from Laren. Who do you expect to return kicks and punts this year? Still Zach Johnson and Josh Ali or new people? Wandell, DeKell, et cetera. Do you think that they'll go with the same guys, or do you think that they're going to go someone that can explosive that can make some plays? Like we saw in the past when Lynn Bowden would go back there and catch the punts. Is Wandell going to be that guy? DeKell speed? What do you think? They've generally been pretty risk-averse, I would say, at punts. I don't think um... – as much as I like Josh Ali, I don't think he's really a great punt returner. He seems to kind of – I don't know how sure-handed he is, which is weird to say for a, for a pretty good wide receiver, but it seemed like he had some wild moments last year. Um, yeah. But it also just seems like that Stoops, the way that they play, they're more inclined to just take a fair catch and just try to you know, not, not turn it over back there. So I think it probably won't be – the Kel crowd or somebody like that, I think maybe in time, but I think starting off next year, I don't know if they'll put a true freshman back there. Unless he's just so good at it. Maybe he is. I don't know. But um, I would say Ali is still probably a safe bet to do it just because he has some experience. And um, 
kicker return, it does seem like a good way to get Zach Johnson on the field. He's pretty well respected. I think he's I think he's one of those guys that used his extra year, right? So yeah. it's, a, it's a way to get him in it. Yeah, I, I think he'll probably still do it again. I, I just don't think that it's the kind of thing that, you know, they just don't really want to turn it over or take too many chances on special teams. So knowing that that's how the mentality has been, I think there's a pretty good chance you'll see some of the same guys back out there next year. Yeah. Uh, do you have any more questions? Did you get any? That is all questions? on my end, yeah. Because I'm, I'm wanting, trying to make sure that I haven't left anyone out because we have not had a football mailbag in a bit. But it looks like that is it. Uh, I think that's got everything in there. We appreciate you all uh, putting your questions in and everything. And then we're going to do – we'll go back to doing just a U.K. athletics-wide mailbag in the next one. Derek can include baseball, everything else in that. Now that that season's wrapped up, softball team – uh, now going on to Super Regionals. We'll be sure to get whatever questions come our way for next week. As always, these episodes are powered by Blue Wire Pods, and this one was powered by Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky, right there off S75. So convenient. If you're traveling to Lexington or traveling back from Lexington from a game, stop in there, have a meal. Or if you can't make it out to Kroger Field and be one of those fans that are going to be in attendance this fall, get to Buffalo Wings and Rings in London and catch the game. Great experience, great atmosphere. To catch a game, Derek and I are going to plan to do a show there at some point, hopefully before we get into the season. Maybe this summer we'll look at some dates, and I'll be sure to get that information out there to you. Uh, but we always appreciate the support. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Subscribe to this podcast if it's the first time you've listened to it. And uh, just uh, help keep Kentucky Daily growing. Uh, Derek, I really appreciate it. Glad to be back on here this week with you and uh, look forward to whatever we have planned this summer. I know we're going to start some – breakdowns of some pit positions so people that enjoy the football talk we're going to go position by position and do some previews yeah i'm looking forward to that as well uh getting in there i mean it's it's close it's right around that time where football really starts to get cranked up like you said baseball season's over uh softball team does play this weekend super regionals against alabama that should be interesting because kentucky actually won a series uh, against alabama earlier in the year of course they got knocked out by them in the sec tournament but um Probably glad you lost that one now, though, right? Yeah, I don't want to go too far off on a softball thing here as we close out, but it seems like the problem a lot of years is UK, right around that 14 seed, they get sent out west. But I think knowing that you're playing an opponent that you know you can beat and that you've seen quite a bit over the years, like I think that could be a pretty interesting Super Regional. Yeah. Yeah, definitely exciting. Uh, I think that that's probably an advantage, playing someone you're familiar with, playing an opponent you have some confidence against and not having to go out West for the first time in a very, very long time. I'm I'm sure Rachel Lawson's pretty excited about that. Uh, But Derek, I know for the next couple of days, I'm going to be possibly out, not for sure, but I just want to make sure everyone knows that everything's good. I'm going to be busy the next couple of days, but if I can make it happen, I'm going to be on here with Derek, but I know Derek is planning to do some solo stuff uh, with some guests. So we'll be sure that Kentucky Daily keeps right on rolling. Uh, He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.